What's up, everybody? Good morning. For those of you who may not know, my name is Jason Lalone. I serve as lead pastor here in Rogers Park and also on the lead pastor team at Park Community Church overall. We're a family of 13 churches spread across the city, bringing the good news to all sorts of different people in all sorts of different places. And it's my joy this morning to open up God's word with you as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Jamie did a great job last week of kicking us off. What? Hey, hey. Okay. Guys, can you, okay, let's, let's, okay, we're going to get in this message here a little bit, all right? But man, this is good. As he introduced the content of our letter, and then he did a great job also setting up the first issue, which the Apostle Paul had to address as the church in Corinth was dividing itself over their favorite leaders. Now, it's all good to have favorite leaders, of course. There's just some people we may connect with more than others. I have mine. But the Corinthian church took a step back in the eighth grade and began lining themselves up behind not only those who baptized them, but those leaders they deemed to have a higher social status and higher social media following, if you will, which centered around their favorite leader's ability to eloquently communicate their message through fine-sounding rhetoric, which the Greek culture of that time so highly prized. Simply put, the Corinthians love their TED Talkers and their celebrity pastors. They love their John McGill's. <laughs> and those who were exceptionally skilled at speaking not only got a large following, but they got paid too. And these movie star-like performers traveled about on their speaking tours. And as they rose in social prominence, those that followed them identified with their prominence too. It's what humans kind of do as well. And they looked down on those who appeared to have less skill and less sophistication. Those who they thought had less wisdom and were often those with lower social status. Yuck. If you want to get under my skin really quick, you start saying about how you do things better than others. And so when it came to the Corinthians evaluating those who preached and taught in the church, that cultural value was holding sway as the way of the world was winning over the way of the cross. And Paul gets after this in a very straightforward and winsome way because our unity in diversity our oneness in Christ, we are members of one another, is of utmost importance in the life of the church. So if you have your Bible or your device with you, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to start out where we ended last week in verse 17, and then we're going to move through chapter 2, verse 5. If you're using one of the house Bibles you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 895. And if you're a guest here with us this morning, and you don't own a Bible or you know someone who needs one, please take one home as a small gift to us. We are so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. But before we dig into the text, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize... Paul wasn't trying to start a baptism club. But to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, this is out of Isaiah chapter 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards, or not many were powerful, or not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, Jeremiah chapter 9, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with like lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's where I'm going this morning. A weak and foolish Savior rescues a weak and foolish people through a weak and foolish preacher preaching a weak and foolish message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We are so grateful for this gathering that you've allowed us to have this morning. To give praise to you. We're doing what you've made us to do. And we're so thankful. And now, Father, my simple ask is that we would receive your word not as the word of man, but as it actually is the word of God among us who believe. Have your way in us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's begin with the weak and foolish Savior in verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to start with a premise and plain speech this morning that the central theme of the Bible is that God has made himself known and that he reveals how you can have a relationship with him. I'm also going to say that if God has made himself known in the Bible as the creator and the ruler and sustainer of the universe, then the most wise thing that we could do would be to pursue a good standing relationship with him. Now I know there's some presupposing going on there, but can I get an amen? 
Like, that would be the most wise thing you could do. And if God has revealed to us the message of how to have a good standing relationship with him, then every other message must take a knee to that message. But this is where the Corinthians were beginning to get it really twisted up. This is where the way of the world was winning over the way of the cross as that other world views or philosophies which sought to make sense of life and help determine the decisions that were made by those who followed those world views or philosophies were putting on the same tier as the bookshelf with the message of the gospel. And Paul is like, nope. Sorry, guys. I don't know about you, but when you have your Bible maybe on your desk or in your living room, wherever you keep it, I just have this weird feeling about putting something next to it or on top of it. Does anybody just have that? It just like bugs me when like I put a book even accidentally on top of the Bible. It's the only message. Because God has set it up in verse 21 that the world cannot know him through its own wisdom. He determined that. He's God. He's the creator. He's the king. He's all wise. And what a message he's given us. Let's take a look at a few of its features here in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what I first want to draw out here is that the world loves to distinguish. The world loves to categorize, and the world, they really love their tribes. But I just want to say that the most important distinction that can be made among humanity, among all the distinctions that are made, is that you are either perishing or that you're being saved. It's either you have a relationship with God or you don't. You're either on the path of continued and forever separation from God or on the path of knowing and joyfully forever being with Him. Which is one of the massively big reasons why we share the good news of the gospel with others and why we plant churches and why we help send missionaries to unreached people groups of the world. Because just like God desires, we desire that no one is on the path of the perishing, but rather on the path of being saved. Secondly, the message of the gospel is folly to some, but power and wisdom for others. Why is the word of the cross folly? Because it's otherworldly and it's shocking. Now, it's otherworldly because fundamentally it's at odds with every other worldview, philosophy, or religion. Let's just keep this simple at two levels. Down here you have what is. And this is what's really taking place in the world. This is what, what's really happening. And up here you have what should be. And I would suggest this morning that every one of us recognizes that there's a gap in between those. That no matter how good life is going right now, that you recognize eventually that there's a gap because the daily news and the eventual trouble that comes into our life reminds us of the gap. Now man in his wisdom, though, seeks to solve the problem by going up 
Mankind seeks to attain what should be by achievement, to ascend in knowledge, and to accomplish by doing good. Man's wisdom says, we got this. But do we really? Has the messages of you do you, what Jamie talked about last week, and I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, has that really closed the gap? As if what we do doesn't affect anyone else? Has today's message of you must do what makes you happy and don't give that up for anyone, and if anyone challenges you on that, then they're dangerous, has that really closed the gap? If so, then, like, what are the rules on happiness? Happiness is very subjective. And what if your happiness messes with my happiness? Then where are we at then? Has the messages of the only way to solve our problems is through science and objective facts and history is bending towards social progress really closed the gap? I have all of these worldviews literally on Farwell Avenue. To the east and the west and the south side of my street with my neighbors. Can the experts out there or the efficiency of a government ultimately improve the conditions of life and make things right, not for just some, but for everyone? Have the religions of the world ever really answered the lingering question? Within us all, how much is good enough? And regarding all these messages, there have been many seemingly intelligent and eloquent representatives of these systems of thought. They've all had their wise men and their scribes and their debaters. Yet after thousands upon thousands of years of human history, let's just be honest together this morning, they don't have a great track record of finally making the world a better place. Now, I understand that there's a lot of other places that we can go with what I'm trying to argue here this morning. But really, in the reality of things, I think we are truly in a day of ages. Someone said that we don't present our Christian faith to answer other people's questions, but we should start questioning other people's answers. Man has tried, tries, and will try again to ascend, whereas Christ blows up all the categories and closes the gap by descending. The message of the gospel is otherworldly, and it's shocking because the gap is bridged by the cross. The king of kings, the king of glory, came down to live the life of what should be in a perfect relationship with God. He showed us how it was to be done. And then in his great love for us, he died for us by being crucified and who was forsaken so that we could be then set free and brought back near to God. That message is otherworldly because man would never make that up. In our systems, we ascend. 
we attain, we accomplish, and we assess, which is Paul, what he's seeking to get after when he talks about the Jews and the Greeks here, is that the Jews are demanding signs and the Greeks are looking for that wisdom. You see, because those Jews and Greeks that Paul shared the message with, they wanted the driver's seat. Rather than seeing God Almighty as the one who assesses, they assessed. And if you think about it, we're not much different today, are we? I mean, just think about this. Here's an example. Has anyone in here ever done the, I'll follow you if? Jesus, I will follow you if you restore my relationship with my spouse according to my satisfaction. And that's what we do, right? We set the terms. Do this miracle, Jesus. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here this morning. Uh, But back in the day, I used to run a for-profit business as a sole entrepreneur, which was illegal. A lot of you know this already, but before I met Christ, I was a drug dealer. And let's just say I was involved in a lot of bad stuff. I was a rolling stone. I was a stoned rolling stone. Drugs, violence, immorality, guns, bad people, bad. And one evening, I thought that I was going to be killed. Now, I had to, I've had to hide behind some stuff when bullets were flying way back in the day. This was way back in the day, okay? I don't bring him out much, but this is the old me. You can't, probably, can't, probably can't even see this guy, right? But I don't bring him out in public much. We can talk about that later. But one evening, I thought that I was going to be killed. As three men who knew that I had a lot of drugs and a lot of money broke into my townhome and robbed me and two of my buddies at gunpoint. And as I was laying on the living room floor, as my two friends were being hogtied on the couch, one of the men had the end of his sawed off shotgun right next to me, right next to my head, right here in this temple, pressed against my head on the floor. And here's what I did. I prayed. Dear God, if you save me from this, I will stop dealing drugs and live for you. Well, he came through. But me, on the other hand, the next day I was already making moves to restock my inventory. The I'll follow you if puts us on the throne, us making demands of God, which is awfully backwards. 
Further, my request to God was to save me from the consequences, but not really from the actions that got me there, which reminds me to tell you that God is not merely seeking to rescue you from the end, but from the now. He has something greater for us now, which we experience in wonderful glimpses in the kingdom of God right now. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand right now. The word of the cross is otherworldly because Jesus is at the center and we're not. And it's shocking because to believe that a crucified king could bring us back into a good standing relationship with God would be to identify with the lowest of the lows. It would be to associate yourself with a backwoods roaming preacher from a tiny sliver of land that was occupied and controlled by the most powerful empire on the planet. Remember, that's how the socially elite and the wise would have perceived this when they first heard it. To associate yourself with the cross culturally at that time would mean nothing less than to be despised and rejected. Are you sure you want to sign up for that? And apart from the Holy Spirit revealing to our minds in our hearts, that the message of the cross is the true wisdom from God, no one would be signing up for that. We'll just stick with Plato, Socrates, and me doing me. Now I'm sure, or I'm not sure rather, where everyone is at this morning with the seemingly weak and foolish Savior. But I just want to tell you that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's how he set it up. Because just like me and many others here in this auditorium, the weak and foolish Corinthians were a testimony to the power of his grace. Paul reasons with them now in verse 26. It's if if he's saying, why are you seeking to elevate these wisdom messages to the same level as the wisdom of the cross? Why are you seeking to identify with the so-called wise and the strong when you're a living example of the cross's wisdom and power to rescue the weak and the foolish? Their message didn't save you. This one did. I mean, let's just run down the list here. Not many of you were wise or powerful or wealthy or you you didn't come from like a noble birth. There aren't many kings and dukes and duchesses. I mean, there's some, but not many. I mean, I think the only duchess I know is Lindsay. I just just like that word, a duchess. I'm like, she's the Duchess of Rogers Park, you know? She's beautiful, she's dignified, she's just got everything going on, you know? She's just a duchess. Which means I'm a duke, you know? <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing about 
the word Duke. I'm just not a fan of Duke. So like, I, you know, basketball thing, never mind. But there were some, but not many. Why? Remember that God is really smart. He determined to make sure that the target aligned with the message. And Paul's brilliant here because he's seeking to tear down the walls they've built to divide one another by lining themselves up behind their favorite leaders. How lame. Since most of them were nothing special in terms of social status prior to them coming in faith in Christ, how could they now think that they were more special than anybody else in the church? No, don't forget where you came from, Corinthians. The very nature of the cross gives us no room for one-upmanship in the church or anywhere else for that matter. Leave your comparisons outside of this room. Now God is very patient with us in this. Because he recognizes that those with high IQs, those who have status and power, those who are healthy and wealthy, those who the world says are beautiful and personable, that they are often inclined to look down or dismiss those who are the opposite. And because God knows our tendencies really well, the message of the cross is supposed to hit us in such a way that it makes nobodies somebodies, and those who think they are a part of the somebodies, nobodies. For the nobodies, Jesus is the rock of their salvation when they were on that sinking sand. He is the hope of their security when they were struggling on welfare and it seemed that there was no one who cared. A Perion Care Lakeshore nursing home. The Breakers Retirement Center, average age 82, widow and widowers. Rooted Community Church, 85% poverty rate in North of Howard Community. Sabka Sahar, the refugee and the immigrant, those who don't know Christ. Iglesia Cristiana La Vida, our Spanish-speaking church. Don't, don't think that there's something not undergirding what we're doing here at this church. Don't you think for a minute. Don't think, you're, you think, you're, don't, don't think that there's nothing theological underneath what we're doing here. And he is also the anchor for their soul when the waves of suffering and injustice sought to keep them down. That's how the cross hits the nobodies. Now for the somebodies... The message of the cross hits them in such a way that the favorite song that they now sing is in the beginning of verse 30. Do you see the title? They now sing the song, It's All Because of Him.
It's all because of him. Christ is the wisdom above all the others. He closed the gap to make us righteous and holy and redeemed, giving us all the treasures of heaven. If we're going to boast and brag about something this morning, let's make sure to boast and brag about him. A weak and foolish Savior rescues a weak and foolish people through a weak and foolish preacher. The beginning of chapter 2. Paul further reinforces the power of the cross to save by now using himself as an example when he first arrived in Corinth. And I love this because I'm sure you've noticed, Deli and I were talking a little bit about this morning. I'm sure you noticed that so far that Paul begins with God and his message, then the Corinthians, and then puts himself last. It's God, it's others, it's me. I'm like down here, everybody else is up there. That's the Christian life, baby. Amen? That's the life. That's the abundant life. You want to live? Get down there. But as Paul reflects back on his ministry in Corinth, notice in verse 1 that he didn't pull out the weapons of lofty speech or wisdom to persuade them about Christ. Now it doesn't mean that he didn't use words that they understood culturally or that he didn't use like big words or whatever it is he needed to use. Like he could hold his own. But the point is is that he didn't use overpowering oratory or philosophical arguments, which again were so highly prized among the Greeks. He's contextualizing here actually. He used no tactics of persuasion or tried to manipulate them with a sales pitch. Which must have been at least a little bit tempting to do, considering that researchers of Greek culture at that time estimated that there were some 50 philosophies or philosophical groups that tugged at the Corinthians, desiring influence and power. Can you imagine that? Like, there's a lot of messages out there right now, but like 50 of them. So you had to have great speaking ability to speaking ability to stand up with the big dogs in order to gather a hearing. Yet Paul would not acquiesce. He knew well that the words of human wisdom and ideology cannot bring us near to God. Paul would have no fireworks display proclaiming Christ. There were no gimmicks, and he certainly wasn't smoothing over any audiences. He had just been previously mocked in Athens as being a babbler of ideas. And we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that some in Corinth compared him with other speakers and concluded that he was unimpressive in his speech. And his presentation just amounted to nothing. Man, that's like cold. Which reminds me, I remember back to my first preaching class at Moody Bible Institute. Communication of biblical truth. Sam, do you remember that class? And we were graded on a scale of one to five for the final message that we presented in class with five being the highest. And we were critiqued by our professor and our fellow students on our content, like our delivery, our voice, and our our gestures even. I mean, they're looking at all, everything, you know? And then how we like put it all together. Now by Corinth standards, if Paul would have been in that class, he would have received a one. 
which means I would have graded higher than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I think I got like a four. But actually, it's probably a three. Christians, they just are nice and they grade higher, right? But you see, Corinth, just like the world, they want a star. They wanted the smartest and the brightest and those who charm, those who help feed their lust of self-exaltation in their heart. They wanted someone to affirm the elevation that they thought they had over others due to their intellectual prowess and their spiritual giftedness and their ability to influence. And then the company they kept with those who had status. But then Paul rolls up into Corinth with the ability to hold his own with any philosopher or intellect, a massive pedigree of accomplishment, spiritually empowered to perform miracles. He raised a young boy from the dead. He was brought up into heaven. He is the apostle of the apostles, commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's that dude. He could have big-timed him. Yet instead, he proclaims the one and only Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how you do it. Yet further, look at verse 3. This is so exciting. My soul is bursting this morning. This is so good. So good. My heart is glad this morning. Look at verse 3. Where we see not only did Paul present a weak message, but he himself was emotionally and physically weak from prior ministry. He had already gotten beaten up and jailed in Philippi. He had ran out of town in Thessalonica and Berea. And as I shared earlier, mocked in Athens. And when, then when he arrived at Corinth, he was quickly opposed and he must have been thinking, you know what, I've been down this road before and i got a good idea what's going to happen next. I'm either going to get beat up or I'm going to get thrown in jail. And he was so terrified of what would happen to him in Acts 18 that it took a vision from Jesus himself to encourage him not to be afraid and to keep on speaking. And that no one was going to attack and harm him because the seemingly weak Jesus was going to use a weak Paul to reach many weak people in the city with his weak message, which all kind of seems like a setup, doesn't it? Because shouldn't the messenger be like the message? So that not only the supernaturally gifted and brilliant Paul but we are reminded that our faith does not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God let me close with a few thoughts let me say a little bit of something about preaching Just a few thoughts. I'll tone it down. Just a few. 
Preaching is not a show or a competition to be evaluated and judged like America's Got Talent. Because Holy Spirit-empowered preaching evaluates you. Now here's my, my definition of preaching among like thousands. And well, we'll, we can talk about this, anybody. But a preaching occurs when the preacher has taken time to meet with God in the study and meditation of his word and then goes and shares what went on in that meeting. It's more exhortational. It's invitational. One person said it's a proclamation of certainties. It should have the hearers saying to themselves, okay, I mean, I got a word this morning. Or I might have to do something here with this. But most important, Holy Spirit inspired preaching does not elevate the status of the preacher but the status of the Savior. There's preaching. Point one. Got ten more points on that. That's point one. Let's talk about preaching. Not like books. Read your book. Here, do, you know, books are good. I've got a lot of books. Number two. The message of the cross forces us into a whole new order of living. If the message of the cross leaves us as we are, if it hasn't humbled us, if it hasn't made demands of us in how we order our lives, if it hasn't drawn us towards one another in reconciliation, but has rather divided us, then maybe the message hasn't been truly understood or maybe the message hasn't been truly believed. The Corinthians were divided among themselves, much like many in the church are today. And so that's why Paul establishes from the jump that we need to get ourselves always back focused on the cross. That is the answer to all division. Lastly, speak to you as a brother. And um, I know so many of your stories. I've been with you in some of the best of times and so many of you and also in the worst of times. So I feel like I got a little something that I can say to you because I've been with you in it. I'm just not talking to you. We've been in it together. If you find yourself weak and trembling this morning, weak and trembling over your sin, and the outcomes are just too much for you to handle right now. And you're desperate. Look to Jesus. You're why he came. And that's why we're here. And myself and others, we would be glad just to be with you and to hear your story. And help you in any way that we can. 
And if you find yourself weak and trembling this morning over your circumstances, it's just a tough time right now. Or maybe it's been tough for a long time. I just want to encourage you this morning that God is not done with you. And he is pleased to work through those who realize that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And that actually, you're a candidate or the candidate that he's looking for to share his love with others who are weak. Because the weak and foolish Savior rescues a weak and foolish people also through a weak and foolish Christian sharing the weak and foolish message. Father, we come to you and we are so thankful that we have your word to guide and direct us to teach us, to humble us, to remind us of our place, that you are God and we're not. That you call the shots, and it's good that you're calling the shots. Everything that you've determined is good. Help us to believe that this morning. And help us to trust in the message that you've given us to share with others so that they can know your love too. Father, do that work in our church, I pray, more and more. May we exult in the cross of Christ. May we all begin to sing together even as we stand. It's in Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.